Thanks to Sana Skin Studio for supporting the No Podcast. Sana is a skin studio that is shifting the relationship with your skin and your products through goal-driven facials, real guidance, and clean skincare. Stay tuned for our promo code so you can receive $25 off of your first facial at Sana Skin Studio. Welcome to the No Podcast with me, Nikki Spo. Welcome back to The Know, my friends, where it is not about knowing everything, but about coming to know ourselves. I am your hostess, Nikki Spo, with the Moses, yes, and I am so freaking happy that you are here. It has been a big couple of weeks for me, and I am still smiling and thriving and standing in my power and leaning in to my birthright, which I believe is to speak and live my truth and help other people to do the same one conversation at a time, which is why I am thrilled to host today's guest. But before I introduce him, I want to take a moment to remind you to subscribe to the show. And if you are feeling called to leave me a five-star rating and a review. Right. So tuning into our conversation today, all the way from across the pond in the UK is Paul Scanlon. Following 30 plus years in the not-for-profit sector, Paul Scanlon now has a focus on empowering and educating people through his online content, courses, mentoring, and speaking. Paul's ability to make complex things simple is a hallmark of his skill as a communicator. His belief is that it is more important to grow people than things. And it is this thought process combined with his innate ability to walk in other people's shoes that create a rare sense of connection with his audience, which is big, big, big. You may already follow him. You may be locked into his words of wisdom. And today we get a unique one-on-one with him. Let's get this party started. Paul, welcome to The Know, where it is not about knowing everything, but instead it's about coming to know ourselves. I know you're tapping in from the UK, so I really appreciate your time and energy in making this conversation happen because I have a feeling we are going to be able to help a lot of people, which I know you are already doing with your platform and courses. So thank you. Sure. Thank you. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So in my years, as in like my whole life, but specifically the last three years and since starting this podcast, I have come to observe that some of the deepest, most empathetic people that I personally know, like the healers and the helpers and the mentors, have all gone through some stuff. So before we get into some of the concepts and the mindsets you coach your mentees through, I want to ask you a very like Oprah Winfrey-esque type of question. And it's just because she has a book actually called this. And the question is, what happened to you that brought you to this point? Something's happened to all of us. Yeah. Mine is less grand, perhaps, than some people. It's almost embarrassing, isn't it, to talk about what happened to us when you see what's happening to people in the world right now. It feels that what's happened to us pales in insignificance, but something has happened to us all, I suppose. I don't know fully what happened to me, no more than I think any of us fully do. I know something did happen to me from my childhood, and in recent years I've been processing some of the consequences of that in my life that are more layered than I thought they were. I began to join the dots in the narrative about that in my past to explain some of my current struggles. I think stuff happens to us, and the more of that we can figure out that makes sense rather than frustrates us more is good to do. That's why I I think, you know, therapy and therapists 
are a good thing. There is still a relative cottage industry in England and Europe. I know it's more mainstream in America where people make an attempt to find out what happened to them in order to put a linkage between cause and effect. The effects in my life that I have that I don't like, but I don't know where I came from, an attempt to understand that. I think the deeper answer to that, Nikki, however, for me has been not what happened to me, but where did my beliefs come from about me? Wow. What do I believe that I don't know I believe that is producing habits, behaviors, reactions, choices in my life that I do not know where that comes from. I think that's a conversation I commonly have with the people I mentor around the world because no one teaches us that from early on in life, what we believe is chosen for us, it's not chosen by us, and it's chosen by nature and nurture and culture. And here we are later in life aware that so much of our lives is not what we chose and we don't like it, hence the midlife crisis language and season of life. I don't think midlife is a crisis. I think a better term for it would be midlife unraveling because I think we're unraveled and disconnected from the versions of us we've relied on and the realization in midlife. That is not who I am anyway, but I don't actually know who I am because of fundamental beliefs that are below consciousness that are governing outcomes in my life. So I have done a lot of my work around what are the beliefs I inherited and had placed into me and are they serving me well? That's what I've done most of my work to come back home to me. Do you think a lot of this has to do with our sense of worth and value in the world? I think our sense of worth and value, again, is hugely defined by nature and nurture and culture. The sense that we have at different stages of our life, that we have a battle with self-esteem or self-worth or acceptance. All of us go through that. Yeah. What most people don't do is try to figure out what that's trying to tell me about, as you said, what happened to me or what I have believed wrongly about me that has handed me this battle I'm having internally around worth and identity. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about the people, you talked about this on, I saw it on your Instagram, like the people who make you feel like you're hard to love. Why do you think that people feel this way so often in life? It's common to get into relational cycles, patterns, where the most common impression we have of that love is that we are difficult to love. We are awkward to love. People are uncomfortable around the idea of loving us. If you add into the mix of all of this, Nikki, as you and your viewers and listeners will be aware of to some degree, the whole issue of attachment style and human needs that we also um, inherited, then that complicates further this relationship we have with loving ourselves and being loved by others and giving love. I did that post that went viral recently. It's now on 11.8 million or something, I don't know. But the idea behind it was that if we don't say to people, you are not hard to love, maybe the issue isn't that. Maybe the issue is you're looking for love from the wrong people, which doesn't mean the people that you're looking to love you can't love you at all. 
but they have this cutoff point beyond which you feel no one then can love me fully. And so I'd rather say to people, you're not hard to love. Maybe you're just trying to be loved by the wrong people. I'd rather put that message out because when I put that post out, lots of the comments were, that's not true. Um, that's bullshit. People are hard to love. I know people are hard to love. I'm hard to love. You can't love narcissists and listed the people. And my response to them, first of all, was nothing because you can't get involved in it a lot on the comments, as you know. Right, right. But I did reply to one person and say, you might find it hard to love a narcissist, and I might too. But I know of many examples where narcissists are loved and adored by people. I'm not saying that it's a good version of love that they have. I'm not saying it's healthy. What I'm saying is someone doesn't find them hard to love. So I still stand by that post. I want to say to people, maybe it's not that you're hard to love. Maybe the truth is that you have been conditioned to believe that because of the people you are trying to get love from that are just instead sending the signal back to you, you are hard to love. So this is as far as it goes with loving you. And I'm saying to people, look further, push beyond. Don't let this love that you have be all the love you think there is for you in the world. So I have a couple of things to say about that. Like one, and I'll come back to this afterwards, is like how we deify other people and yep. we rely on the love from other people to like fill us, fill our whole. But, you know, and in, in me, myself working a program of recovery, something that I've said a lot and I've heard a lot of is like, you can't go to the hardware store looking to buy apples. Like you're at the wrong store. Like they don't sell the apples here. You're, you're not going to get your groceries. You're not going to get your fruits and veggies at the hardware store. You're going to get a hammer. It's just another way of, of saying what you're saying too. It's like maybe you're just going to the wrong store looking for the wrong things. Yes. I think what happens with that, Nikki, is it's a good metaphor, the grocery store and the hardware store. People that we, as you say, deify and place too much importance on their opinion of us, again, often based on an anxious attachment style convince us that the hardware store is the right place to look for an apple. But actually, we don't need an apple. What we need is this. Right. Like they're selling you on the hammer when you're like, I need, no, I'm actually needing an apple. Exactly. So what happens too with what we're describing is people have a way of convincing you that the kind of love you want isn't actually what you need. What you need is this. And as we all know, people spend years in abusive relationships believing that they somehow deserve that, that that's as good as it gets, or at least I'm loved good on some days or whatever, because they have stayed in the hardware store trying to turn a hammer into an apple. And people that you over-depend on for defining you can do that to you. And wow. of course, a lot of that's narcissism and so on. I know that. So I, I love that analogy. But I don't think it's as simple as an awareness, I'm in the wrong store, I'll leave. Right. I wish it was that simple. Right. I have seen people spend years in the wrong store believing a hammer is an apple. Believing that the love they're getting, which is brutal and unkind, is kind of as good as it gets. How do you help people through that? Because like in my experience, I, I've been on this search to come home to myself and learn about myself and learn about like what type of love I need, right? Or in, in every type of relationship, right? Like I've I've spoken very openly about how I was estranged from my mother for for many years, you know, and and I've had to had like a reckoning with myself about who, what, when, where, why, like all of the things about myself 
came into question. And I don't see it, like you said, like many people do, a midlife crisis. I do see it as a midlife unraveling and a reckoning and an awakening of sorts that I'm very privileged to have arrived at in a sense, you know? How are you helping people do that? Like, cause it's like, you know, once we, we deify these people and we do this a lot with our parents, right? Because as small children, our parents are these all-knowing figures in our lives and we grow into adoles teenagers, adolescents, young adults, and we start to do this in other ways. Like we do it with our job. We are defined by our job and or how much money we make. And so then we place all of our like self-worth and all of these external things. And it is very, very difficult to detach our sense of self from these external things, whether it's a lover, a parent, a job, whatever you have, your, your belongings, whatever it is. But people are still deeply unhappy, right? How do you coach people out of that when they come to you and they're unhappy and they can't get out of their own way? Like, what do you do? It's got to be an educational experience and people aren't open for that. They want a quick fix. Yeah, right. A lot of this is huge educational, enlightenment, eye-opening, realizations, awakenings, epiphanies, which are hard work. I would say to people, start small. So it's it's not as scary as I just described. It starts small. But I think the system's rigged for people not to make it out of those scenarios to a healthier version of it. And so I think people need an awakening voice in a book or a podcast or a conversation or a movie or a TV show, something random that wakes them up away from their attachment to their egoic identity. Because all of this that we're talking about, of course, is the ego. It's the ego that keeps you in the wrong store. It's the ego that keeps you in relationships wow. are clearly not serving you well, but are serving the egoic's version of you whose job is to protect you, keep you safe, not lead you into anything risky or unpredictable or disruptive. So when we cleave to my status attached to my relationship with someone or my salary or my job or my status or my standing, when we cleave to all of that and out of it create a narrative about who we are, that is 100% ego because your soul has absolutely zero attachment to anything. Yeah. Well, what we've got is we've got a planet full of humans that are living out of an egoic identity, which is a false construct. The ego is a false construct created for us in our childhood by which we then navigate life. And of course, the ego starts before you're born because when you're born, you're born labeled, you're born black or white, you're born rich or poor, you're not knowing that from birth, they're already shaping your identity. Yeah. With no reference to you. Then after you're born, all the labels start padding in then. You're smart or you're stupid, you're good or you're bad, or whatever the labels are that begin to come on us. And now the world is full of labels that never existed when you and I were kids. And so it now gets crazy in labeling. And all of that becomes, we think, who we are. And the problem is, we think our egoic identity that shapes our personality and temperament, we think that is who we are. So when someone says to us, no, that's not who you are. Have you thought about this? Have you thought you may be in the wrong store? Have you thought you're worthy of love? Have you thought that that's not really what you think? 
have your thought. That's not your own mind. Someone told you to think that way. People for a moment get a flash of hell yeah. Right. I do think that. And then they stop there. Yeah. And so people need guides. You and I are guides. Part of what we do is guides. They don't, they don't need a guru. They need guidance alongside them, which is what I do and you do to a degree from understand of bringing them towards awakening, enlightenment, aha, I see it, even in small ways. For the lights to come on for someone through what I do, it is the most exhilarating, rewarding thing because I was that person and I got no help. All of my awakenings came struggling, stumbling, more than I should have done. That's why I so now love to help people turn the light on. But most importantly, my job isn't to keep turning your light on for you. It's to show you where the light switch is. And to be an example too, right? I think that the importance you talk about, like not necessarily needing a guru, but like I look at people that I that I find hugely empowering, like Brene Brown and yes. and Gabrielle Bernstein, right? Like they, those yes. were people that kind of turned my lights on, and I was like, oh. And then you know, as I got sober, I saw a sober woman that like looked like me, and she was an example of something that I I was like, oh my, God, I want to be like that. I want to have that energy. I didn't even know she was sober, and you know, she was an example that kind of like just subliminally at first turned the light on for me. And then at one point, Paul, that's when I decided to say, you know what, I, I want to be publicly open and openly sober because I think people need examples of what it can look like. Not that it's perfect, but just like I mentioned, like a guide or a point of reference or like what it can be. And like, let's turn the light on. But you mentioned something really important about the system being rigged. You recently had a post that talked about how Recently, the Netflix CEO said that the only competition is sleep, right? And you refuted that by talking about how we live in a world that does not that does not actually want us to be physically, mentally, and emotionally fit, that billions of dollars are invested in ensuring that people feel basic, unhealthy, overweight, and unhappy, and that their real competition is actually our consciousness and waking up. So the whole premise of the show, right, of this show is to motivate, and what you do is to motivate people to come home to themselves and have that awakening. How how do you help guide these people into their own sense of consciousness and awakening? Well, first of all, people don't know that they're not conscious. That's the problem we all have. Everybody thinks that they're conscious. So when we talk to people about being unconscious, they don't know what we mean. I love the example, inspiration of Brene and so on and so on. What we need, and Brene does this, of course, and Gabriel and so on, but people don't bother to pay attention to what comes next, which is we need then this guidance for how do I enter that space? How do I get sober? How do I come home to me? Because people love the mantra, and right. love the idea, and yeah. love the goal, but how you get there and how I get there are two different things. Yeah. Because though we both may have the same problem, we got there differently. We're there for different reasons. Our recovery is going to be different in nuanced areas that matter. So the way we help people wake up is we model an awake version of a human and we model the benefits of that. And then we break it down, articulate what that's done for us and what we think it would do for you in the hope that someone's attention might be caught. You know, there's this saying, isn't there, that when the student's ready, the teacher appears. What that means, that ancient Eastern wisdom means that your growth 
and your education and your waking up is far more to do with your readiness than it is to do with teachers. Yeah. When the student's ready, the teacher appears, means that you think that the progress was to do with the appearance of a voice, someone you heard on TV or a podcast or a book you read. You know, I've read the same book twice. People say to me, can you recommend books? And I'm always, I can recommend books. But what I realized was the significance of a book isn't the book. It's the timing with which you read the book. I've read the same book twice. The first time I read it, I'm thinking, well, that book was rubbish. I don't know why someone recommended that to me. Then I read the book a year later, and it was life-changing. The book hadn't changed. I had changed. Right. So the whole idea of when the student's ready, the teacher appears, is talking about when you're ready to become conscious, which sadly, but realistically, as we said early in the beginning, is going to take a lot of crap you have to go through, a lot of loss, a lot of suffering, a dark night of the soul or two that gets you ready to wake up and become conscious. That wake, that pain that people go through that gets them ready for the teachers appearing is what I hope starts to match up a lot more as people like us do more what we do and get our voice out there. Because still, when I talk to people, they're still like, where you been all my life? And I'm like, well, I've been here. They found me because their pain and their suffering made them follow someone different on Instagram that they ever did. It made them attend an event they never dreamed of going to. It made them listen to an opinion of people they'd normally ruled out because their pain made them realize your life isn't working. Yeah. The voices you listen to aren't helping you. Right. So would you be open to a new idea at least, and then eventually people find you and me. Then there's the beginning of a possibility of waking up, but it's yeah. a process, and most people don't make it that far. This conversation is so good, but before we keep going, I want to take a minute to thank our sponsors, Sana Skin Studio. The best way for me to describe Sana is that it feels like coming home. Unlike traditional facials, Sana's facials are rooted in education, and I love this so much. Every experience I've had at Sana has been a chance to learn more about my skin and its needs. I love that the facials are effective while also being accessible enough to be a monthly ritual rather than a yearly splurge. I'm honored to be able to provide our audience with a promo code. Use the code THENOGLOW for $25 off of your first facial at Sana when booking via sanaskinstudio.com. I had this book gifted to me. It's called Mirror Work by Louise Hay. And I now did it like I did a whole podcast about that book, right? My friend had given me that book like five years ago and it sat in my drawer and I didn't even, I didn't even read it the first time. I was just like, right. oh, not, I was like, barf. I was like, not, not for me. I don't need that. I'm not looking in the mirror and telling myself I love myself in the mirror. I'm not going right. to do it. I'm not going to do right. it. I don't need that. Five years later, I, I pick up the book. I read the book. And I am shaken to my core. Like I did the work and I'm telling myself, I mean, these are things that I've done, right? Look at yourself in the mirror and tell yourself you love you. I love you. I love you, Nikki. I mean, I was hysterical crying. And it just goes to show you that like, I, I knew I couldn't read the book five years earlier. I just couldn't. I could not. Right. It took me five years to pick up the book. 
Yes. And read it. But it's yes. just like, this is so, it's just to your point. You see it a lot with addiction, right? You cannot, you can force somebody to go to rehab. You can force somebody, you can tell them to your blue in the face, you need to get help. You need to get help until an addict is ready to get help. The rehab is not likely going to work because they're not ready. For me, it has taken, I can speak from personal experience, Paul, that it did take several, not one, not two, not three, several dark nights of the soul. You know, I'm 36 years old. I've been struggling with with like this, who am I state of mind for, for my whole life. Yes. For my whole life, I felt it. You know, when you got the book five years ago and we look back and think, wow, I wished I'd listened or attended or read the book or got the help or whatever. All of that is what I call awareness raising. If I can't teach you something today because you're not ready, at least I can raise your awareness another notch that you need this, that this is something you should lean into. And so sometimes I have to settle as a teacher and a mentor, and you too, we have to settle for all we can do today is raise a bit of awareness. But there's value in that. We're not the teacher that gets to meet the student and have a good outcome yet. That may be years from now. A lot of what we do, Nikki, I think, is about nudging people into awareness towards consciousness, to go back to an earlier uh, moment. That's there's value in nudging people towards awakening. I had so many nudges like the book you talked about right. that I saw no value in back then, but accumulatively, they were all playing a part in bringing me towards winning to sit down and go to school and learn as it were. And this is the problem, by the way, with our whole education system. We try to teach kids stuff. They have no awareness that they need. And so many kids hate school because we're teaching them things that later in life they may see value in, but right now they have no awareness why the hell algebra matters to me or that random concept in history or science. And yet we are still making kids feel that they are not smart, they're not intelligent, they're failing in life if they don't tick the boxes in the education system, this one size fits all. What I call industrial approach to humans which is what education system is, is killing our kids. I advocate what I call an agricultural approach to humans, which is sow a seed, step back, and see what happens. You can't control outcomes with what we are teaching and doing as much as we'd like to. So the person that gave you that book or gave me the book or listens to this podcast may not be ready, but at least we can wake them up a little bit more and maybe six months from now, this will be a key part in helping them get to their clarity, you know? That's right. Let's talk a little bit about long-term love and partnership and the idea of attending a thousand funerals of the person that they or we used to be. I think it's true, first of all, about yourself internally. Unless we can move on from versions of us that have not served as well and have a distinct line that we draw where we did say goodbye to that version of us and all its eventual dysfunction because that version served as well at a time, but then it didn't. And so the idea that we need to attend a thousand funerals internally, emotionally, mentally, first of all, about versions of us that didn't serve as well, things we believed, as we said earlier, didn't serve as well, and all that that led us into by relationships, associations, choices for our life, those are all funerals we have to have, as it were. And these can be micro or many things that we do, 
all big soul searching things we have to do to separate from versions of us. Now externally, that's true of people, friendships, relationships. I've done quite a lot of teaching recently and mentoring on one-on-ones around the idea of friendships because the most important relationships in our lives, we don't audit them enough. So relational auditing, I know it's a skill and I know it's tough because you might want to continue growing and flourishing to the next version of you, but the people around you perhaps don't. And these are people you love, they matter to you, but that doesn't mean that they're going to celebrate every new version of you. That's I right. remember when I first got a man bun. I like your man bun. I decided years ago not to shave and grow my hair. And one day I tied my hair up rather than go to the hairdressers. And then I started getting comments from people around me. You look like a drug dealer. Or is this Miami Vice, which is your town? And so on <laughs> and so on. What was it like? It was the energy was... Playful, yet cynical. Right. And what I realized was when I made even a physical change to my appearance that was considered radical, people didn't like it and were disrupted. And I had to push past that to keep this man bun because I thought, you know what? I look good. I am rocking this look. I'm going to keep this look. Yeah. People all the time, every single day, are attempting something new in their lives. They want to try a different food or watch a different TV show or wear a different piece of clothing. And when people that are close to them find out, they get all kinds of apparently loving feedback that you shouldn't do that. And people often don't survive that. So what I'm saying to people about a thousand funerals is you have to also be willing to have some version of a funeral, and I might start with a boundary setting, with people that aren't celebrating changes you are wanting to make. And it may be something clumsy and clunky that you're doing. You may not have thought it through. You don't know what to say to people about it, but you just feel good wearing that. Yeah. Or you felt good speaking your mind. Or you feel good getting a tattoo. That's all you know. And if you can't push past the resistance from people you love who you've deified to talk earlier that we did, you're going to stop there. And to me, the road back to you begins with those things that you're thinking about doing today, that you're getting a lot of cynical, edgy feedback about. And most people don't make it beyond there. So a lot of my mentoring and coaching are these conversations. I'm saying to people, listen to me, you are not crazy. What you did today that you just told me about, this is who you really are. This is what lights you up. This is what you love. I don't care that no one around you love it, loves it or it lights them up. I don't give a shit that they don't agree with it. And you mustn't either, because I know if they go back now, they'll never make it back to the beginnings of this reinvention they were involved in with a small thing that they got, you know, shouted down for. That's right. It's funny because in my own personal life, I got a couple months ago, I got like, nine tattoos all at once like tiny little tattoos like a single needle you can barely see them like if i didn't point them out nobody would notice i was going to say because this this was painful so i'm like yeah, nine would be great like i had one when i was like 15 you know and i went like and i, I like probably did not get a parent signature for it knowing right. me you know i got one when i was a teenager but then i didn't have any and i like i like tattoos and you know whatever 
but I went and got nine new ones and they're little, they're all like tiny little, little ones. And, and I remember people saying like, oh man, she's really grown, going through it. She's really must be going through right. it. I'm like, no, I just did this because I always wanted to do it. And exactly. like, why not? Like I only have one life and why not? And I remember piercing my ears and people are like, why are you piercing your ears? I'm like, right. exactly. why not? She's why not? out of control. Out of control. <laughs> I keep coming back to this concept that like we, people like you and I and, and other wonderful everyday people, I'm talking about like everyday people walking the streets, normal people can just be a walking example of like what it means to be yourself, like just being comfortable in your own skin. And that's not saying that everything we do is perfect. Like I think that there has to be a humility about it too, right? Like I am not perfect. I, I make m lots of mistakes. Like the, the mistakes that I make in my life are not always a reflection of who I want to be or who I want to project and like the, the kindness and the love that I want to show myself and also having the humility to say, okay, whoa, I did something that I didn't like, you know, and that doesn't define me either. Right, right, exactly. Can I just say this tattoo, it is a beautiful Japanese word and it means we are homesick for ourselves. Oh my god, oh my god, I'm going to cry like with you saying that. Because I feel like that my I feel like that was my life for such a long time. Exactly. And me too. I'm going to do it on camera because I want to say to people, if you can encapsulate and this is part of my why of course, if you can encapsulate your why, your purpose, your wake up mantra in a piece of jewelry or clothing or a piece of artwork or a tattoo, then go ahead and do that because it's not random. You know, getting a, getting something in your life or on your body that is your story or reminds you of what this cost you is a part of waking up. Yes. Part of this journey towards consciousness. So it really matters the stuff we're talking about here, even at a small level, it really does. A small level. So what is the Japanese word? Okegasamai, I'm probably not saying it well, but okegasamai, and I've had a couple of Japanese friends read it to me. They said it better than me. And it's some version of that because I wanted to encapsulate it. And I know you'll have versions of that for your life, but I don't think people do that enough, even privately. Don't tell anyone. Capture something privately that you keep to yourself. Don't tell anyone. Don't show anyone that book or that piece of jewelry. But you know, when I look at that, when I see that, it centers me back into the beginnings of where I want to go to. That is a small thing everyone can do, but it is the awareness and awakening of consciousness that someone will guide you towards and getting you ready for the teacher that's going to appear. Because a teacher will appear for sure. If they're not appearing yet, it's not because they're not there, it's because maybe you're not ready. So, Paul, you know, you've been hugely insightful. I'm so grateful for your time. I really appreciate you tuning in all the way from the UK. And you reach so many people. I know that you are having this enormous impact on so many people. And I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to sit and chat with you and bring your thought process and your methods to my audience. And hopefully more people will start tapping into the, to your teachings because I think that we're really on to something here. Thank you so much. Hey, let's keep in touch, eh? I would love that. This podcast was brought to you by Sana Skin Studio. Be sure to use my code, the no Glow for $25 off of your first facial at Sana when booking via sanaskinstudio.com. More than a skin studio, Sana is a movement towards healthier skin and self-love.
Thank you so much for listening to The Know. If you loved this episode, go ahead and share it with a friend. Words are so powerful and someone may need to hear what we covered today. And if you really loved this episode, please take a moment to rate the show and leave a review. Your comments are so important and valued and they give other listeners insight on what to expect on The Know. You can connect with me personally via Instagram at Nikki Sap Spo and The Know with Nikki Spo. My hope for you today is that you are fearless in looking inward so that you can be your highest, most authentic self and go after the life of your dreams. 